You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and I'm joined by my co-host Tony and tonight we are talking about the Willow Jr. 100 Sled Dog Race recap. But before we jump into that, we have some breaking news about the Yukon Quest Alaska. Tony, what do we know? Okay, so just as a quick recap for our listeners, most will remember, but just in case they don't, during the Yukon Quest Alaska, Laro Eklund was withdrawn from the race. Uh, the race marshal cited Rule 22, which was their competitiveness rule. They, the race marshal felt that for whatever reason, we're not really sure of the reasonings, that Laro was no longer competitive in the race. He had um, a really, cons- not really conservative schedule, but a rookie conservative schedule for his first uh, 550. And he was rocking it. Everybody was praising him. And then, surprise, he got withdrawn. He was about six to seven hours behind the next slowest team, which was also running about six or seven hours behind the rest of the pack. So it was a little confusing. Fans, mushers, everybody seemed a little upset. They wanted more information. And then late last night, we got a an update from the Yukon Quest Alaska saying that Laro had appealed the decision by the race marshal. And so they formed a group to look at that appeal, which is stated they went through in their rules. They followed the rules on how you can appeal and what the process is. And that appeal board Uh, they conducted an informal hearing to make a decision. And after careful consideration of all the facts they state in their press release and input from the race marshal, the appeal board made the decision to set aside the decision made by the race marshal during the race. As per the rules, Laurel Eklund will receive the money, the prize money, excuse me, for the finishing position that he could have reasonably attained but for the action taken, which is a thousand dollars, it was it, the whole press release. You can find it on their Facebook page, Yukon Quest Alaska. It's it's an interestingly worded one because while the appeals board did reverse the decision, the the rest of the press release is yes, we agree that this decision needed to be reversed, but we also stand by the race marshals original decision. So it's, it's a little strangely worded and, and 
but I think it I think it's the best outcome for the situation. Um, and they've also um, extended an invitation for Laro to compete next year without having to pay the entry fee. They're gonna they're gonna waive that for him. So I overall I think this is the right decision. Uh, for this year, uh, just judging by the overwhelming response of different mushers, not fans. As much as I want to believe that me as a fan, you know, my opinion matters and fan opinions do matter. I think at the end of the day, I, I like to follow who the participants are and where they fall along these decision lines. Yeah, I think it was pretty interesting to see that reversal. And I find it even more interesting where they said it's going to, um, we stand by the decision of the race marshal. I think that they're saying that, number one, because the race marshal has sort of ultimate authority over decisions. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to stay in place. But I also think it it leads a little bit of caution to, we are not going to have appeals for every single decision uh, because that could right. turn that could turn into something crazy. And it's and I wanted to talk about that for that very reason. And I know this is probably more for our biweekly show, but now we've had two major races over the last two years, if you will, where we've had these decisions. We had the um, that uh, penalty decision in Iditarod. Uh, the time penalty and all that, which was reversed. And now we have this one, which was a uh, withdrawal, and it was reversed. Do you think that this is going to become a trend? And if so, how do you th think it's going to affect the outcome? Of course, both times it didn't necessarily affect the winner or anything, but it could have some interesting effects on the races as we move forward. Because you didn't see a lot of this in, in, in the past, at least nothing of this magnitude where somebody was withdrawn and then pretty much said, yep, we, we messed up. Uh, you didn't withdraw. Here's your money back or here's the money and here's an entry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the only other big appeal in recent memory would be the one after the Yukon quest disqualified, um, Hugh Neff in, it was 2017 or 2018 when his dog Boppy died and it was due to, the race decided it was due to uh, musher negligence. Don't want to go into all of that because I know there are fans that have opinions on both sides of that. But he, uh, Hugh appealed, I think twice. I think he appealed to both boards and they both basically shot him down um, because of the necropsy. Uh, you know, you can't really fight that. <laughs> so, right. um, you know, it, it's interesting to me. I think with the Yukon Quest Alaska, they had a lot of pushback from the mushers to reverse the decision. Whereas with Iditarod, I found that extremely interesting because it seemed to go more with what the fans wanted than what the mushers did because the mushers were the ones that appealed to the race marshal to begin with to do the penalties. So <laughs> it's, it's an interesting way of doing it. I don't know that this is like an uptick in a trend. Moreover, I think it's just with social media and fans knowing more, like we would not have known about that penalty had Michelle Phillips not taken to Facebook and just gone off about the penalty that she received other than we would have gotten a, 
a PR notice saying, hey, there were some issues. We had to change the times on two of these mushers. That's why they're in a different position in their standings. But Michelle went and, you know, just opened up that giant can of worms, which was her right. Um, and we saw the same thing that Laro did. So I think more so, I think what the trend will be is that it will be fought on social media before it even makes it to an appeals board. And that's where I think it gets tricky and, and a slippery slope. And you would hope that the appeals boards in any race could ignore that. But we know that from big criminal trials, too, that you cannot ignore the press. Um, so unless they come up with gag rules for social media, which we know how well gag rules play over on, on Musher's opinions, um, uh, we may see an uptick in appeals, but I think you really do have to know that you have a leg to stand on and that you have support from somewhere important to make it, especially for something like a Diderotter quest. I've said it before, and I think you agree that social <laughs> media is a blessing and a curse for dog mushing. Yep. And, and hopefully yep. we don't see a lot of uh, a lot of races uh, bowing down or uh, allowing decisions to be made just because social media uptick is is, is involved. Good, bad, or indifferent, mm -hmm. I guess. So let's move over right. to the topic of the day. It is the Willow Junior 100 race recap. Mm -hmm. It's a race that happened right here in my backyard. I didn't get a chance to see him going out or coming back in because they left at 3 <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon and... I was probably busy figuring out what we're going to do with all those shows on Friday that we recorded. <laughs> and then on Saturday, I happened to be teaching a group of students from Alaska Pacific University for their first time ever dog mushing course. So while they were out racing, we were out prepping a bunch of newbie mushers to get ready to go. But the race seemed to be an exciting one. First off, we had what, two or three uh, sibling teams. I know we talked about that in the mm -hmm. intro. And we had a little bit of drama on the trail with a race reroute and a time penalty and uh, all sorts of stuff. So what can you tell us about this uh, junior race? It was a really impressive race. It was faster by a little bit than what I had expected, especially since with the Goose Bay They've reported new snow on the trail, and so I just assumed that Willow would be similar. But uh, Vern Halter did a fantastic job, as always, grooming the race trail. Uh, he got major kudos from many of the parents and mushers. Um, I think the first thing we should bring up is Dick Mackey was the honorary musher, and the race showed his talk. Um, to the mushers at the musher meeting before they left. And it was just, it, it's a delight. If you can look it up, uh, I definitely recommend you do so. He talked a little bit about his mushing. He talked, he talked with great pride, as fathers do, about his sons who ran Iditarod and won and all of his mushing family. Uh, so just a really great, encouraging way to start the race. And then for the race itself, we had a very competitive field. I had said in the, the pre-race that I thought Emily was going to blow 
the competition away and she didn't. It was a almost photo finish for the top two. Emily did come out on top, but Hannah was right behind her. And um, I believe it was only 19 seconds between the two. As for the penalty and the race route, um, we had one musher, she's from Maine. Her name is Tara Crossman. And she had come into the halfway checkpoint where they have their mandatory rest. And she came over to the officials and she said she wanted to withdraw or scratch. Um, there were a few dogs in her team that she was concerned about. She didn't think that they could necessarily make it back to the finish. Um, and in talking with the race officials and talking with the veterinarians, she was given the option to run back to the finish uh, with everybody else, but that they would modify the trail for her so that they could continually be with her and, you know, monitor the situation. And she chose to do that. She did finish and uh, they gave her a 40 minute penalty. They called it a penalty, but really it's just to fix what you know what that trail reroute did it's not like she was being punished or anything like that um and i think that that's what's great about these junior races they're not you know it's not like what we just talked about with the quest and iditarod where it's all about the finish and where you finish it's all about the finish yes we just want you to finish and have a positive experience so that you can take that to your next race be it junior iditarod or whatever, and know that you can do this. You know, you made those decisions, you did really well. Um, you know, you had some adversity and yes, they did accommodate that, but that was just to build this musher up so that she knew that, okay, I see this in my team. Now I know what needs to happen. And so it was just a really, really nice, uh, I think story and finish to the race. There were a couple of other mushers that came in after her, but I, I think celebrating Tara is just something that the, the whole time the race was really encouraging her and, and that was sweet to see as well. And then we had a couple of families uh, that had two mushers in there. You had the Robinsons and you had the Randalls. And uh, I loved seeing the camaraderie between the siblings. Normally you hear about sibling rivalry and this would be the perfect time for that to rear its ugly head. But they shared pictures of Emily hugging her brother. When he came in, Stanley came into the, the midway. She wrapped him up in a hug. Um, the Randalls ran together pretty, pretty close together. And I want to say it, it's either, I can't remember if it's Stanley or Thale. One of them is like 11 years old and running their first race. So that's pretty exciting as well. We have a really healthy uh, junior um, class moving up and, and the future is looking bright if these kids stick it out. For sure. And we're going to talk about some of the awards here in just a second, but I'm currently on the Willow Jr. 100 Sled Dog Race Facebook page, and Jr. is just JR when you're searching for it. And I'm looking at the race start video provided by Mountain Glory Photography. And one thing I want to point out is if you'll notice on the start, it's it's leaving from 
Vern Halter's Dream a Dream Dog Farm. And as I mentioned, right mm-hmm. here in our neighborhood. And what's interesting about this, Tony, is at the race shoot, this is a little bit different than a lot of other races that start, you know, uh, the big races often start downtown somewhere, whether it be Fairbanks or Whitehorse mm-hmm. or Anchorage or even Willow Lake or someplace that's that's established, well-known, a place to hold a dog race. And then they travel a little ways down before they hit the trail. And that's pretty common in just about every slog, uh, slog every dog sled race that <laughs> I know of. But this one is unique because as they leave the uh, chute, they they do a hard left turn. And within 100 yards maybe or so of the race start, they are on the trail. They are on the race trail. And there's not a lot of hoopla. There's not a lot of uh, time to get your bearings or anything like that. They're from the chute to the trail within a football field. And I think even for juniors... That is a unique experience and something that I know I haven't uh, experienced a bunch in my time in racing because, you know, the race is a race and you have that little bit of time to position. And I think it's cool just to mm-hmm. jump right into to the, to the race with, with both feet and be off and running on the race. So I think that that's cool. So what's happening with the awards? Uh, we have some of your typical ones. But uh, what do you know about those? So it's, uh, I think I'll go with the Lifetime Achievement Award first because I think it's important to give a shout out to Christine Stitt. She is the behind the scenes guru of both the Willow Junior and I believe the Willow 300, excuse me, um, Willow 300. And she has put on the Willow Junior for 16 years, so they decided to award her this really pretty plaque. It's it's carved out of wood, um, a Lifetime Achievement Award. I think she was very surprised and very honored to be given that award uh, yesterday during the, the award ceremony. And so just kudos to her. She puts on a great race for these kids. She's She's managed to keep it going, even in the very lean years that we've seen, uh, especially during a pandemic. So the rest of the awards, you've got the halfway award was Emily Robinson. No surprise there. That was for the first musher in. Rookie of the year is Emily's brother, Stanley. And then the Red Lantern was James Shawcroft. Sportsmanship was James Shawcroft. And I did see earlier in the race coverage where James apparently has some just just a very positive kid out on the trail, always had a smile on his face. They said he had some great stories, some great jokes. I wish they would have shared some of that, some video or something of that, or shared a story from him because uh, he sounds like a character. Then they've got the Skeeter Award, and I would love to know why it's called the Skeeter Award, but it's for overcoming challenges. And Stanley Robinson won that award, and we talked about that a little bit before recording, Robert, where we said we'd really like to know what those challenges were that Stanley got the award and not Tara, because Tara, we know, as I said earlier, had her little uh, own adventure of adversity. So uh, congratulations to Stanley. I just want to know what the challenges were. 
Yeah. And then I, last but not least. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, <laughs> yeah, I would too. I, I don't know. I would assume it's probably overflow. Uh, there's a lot of places that that can be encountered. And yeah, we did get quite a bit of snow even yesterday. Uh, it was snowing pretty hard up here. So I would imagine it was a slow slog back. Yeah, and I can imagine being a, a young kid, you know, dealing with overflow. It's not fun as an adult. I can't imagine a kid with dogs and a race and all this pressure that you've put on yourself, even though all the adults are telling you it's no pressure at all. Um, you know, it's scary. Overflow is scary. I don't care what age you are. It can be scary because it's like, okay, is this overflow or did I just break through the ice? What's going on? Um, but last, And last but not least is the most coveted award, I think, of any sled dog race, which is the Humanitarian Award that's given out, of course, for dog care, exemplary dog care, and the veterinarians are normally the ones that give out that award. And that went to second place finisher Hannah Wappet. And I hope I said her last name correctly. But um, that's, that's a huge award. And I love that juniors get that award. Um, I think that's very important. And again, encouraging them to just continue to pursue uh, this sport and to continue to improve uh, is a huge thing for a teenager or, you know, a preteen um, to, to be able to say, yeah, I was the best at taking care of my dogs. And that, like I said, it's the most coveted award outside of maybe the, olden days when you could get a pickup truck at the Iditarod, the humanitarian award is something very, very special. Yeah. You had mentioned the Skeeter award, uh, for, is that the overcoming adversity one? Yep. Yep. That's the overcoming challenges award. So you had also mentioned Christine Stitt for the, uh, lifetime achievement mm -hmm. that, uh, that award is given to Christine because the Stitt family is the one that that pretty much does this whole thing. I know Vern Halter and and his crew are, are doing a lot of the trail maintenance, but all the logistics, all of the social media, all of that stuff is done by the Stitt family. Even the halfway point is up at their homestead up on Hatcher Pass. So they run around the trails here, up the Herning Trail, as we mentioned on the intro, and then to the halfway point there at the Stitz place, and then back down. Well, Skeeter happened to be uh, Christine's son, and he ran it sev okay. several times uh, as a junior. And I think that they started that race way back in the day uh, to have an opportunity for the Stitt boys to be able to run a race in their backyard. You know, back then, there weren't a whole lot of junior races happening. You had a junior Iditarod, and occasionally you had uh, the junior Yukon Quest, and that was about it, unless it was a sprint race downtown somewhere where you're running two or three dogs and running a couple of miles, and that's about it. So Skeeter was involved. Uh, I don't know if he's still involved. I think he's moved on and, and doing other things. I'm not even sure if he lives here in Willow any longer, but he was the one that was, you know, uh, the guy behind the scenes that did everything. And if I remember correctly, when my daughter, Nicole ran the race, he was, he was sort of the trail boss, the, you know, the race marshal, he was everything, mm -hmm. uh, when, when, uh, Nicole was running it. And, and that's where that award comes from. Okay. See, I learned something new today. Very good. All right. Anything else on the Willow Jr. 100? 
I just want to encourage fans, go to the Willow Junior 100 Facebook page. I know not everybody likes Facebook or uses Facebook, but if you can, there's so many great pictures. There's a video. Um, and then also, you know, try and find some of the, the parents' kennels. Uh, the Robinsons, of course, have posted a lot of great pictures and video. Um, Rock on Racing, which are the Randalls uh, kennel page. They have great video and photo and stories that their kids are telling them. So it's, it, it, there, there are ways to find out more about these kids and the races. I know that they're trying to give them as much privacy as possible. Um, but go on there. There are bios that they don't have on the website. They have on the Facebook page. I'm not really sure why they don't put them on the website. Um, but yeah, just a lot of lot of great little little tidbits, and they're all starting to pour in now that everybody's slept and is back home. Right. So, what is upcoming on our Mushing Radio podcast? <laughs> uh, first up will be the uh, Junior. Let's see, uh, the Goose Bay One Hundred and Fifty Race Recap. We had hoped to do that this morning, but we had our times a little bit crossed. They're still out on the trail. They're only. Um, they had just started the the return leg back early this morning, and we're recording this at 1030 uh, Alaska time. So we will not have time to do that this afternoon because Tony and I will be doing what probably uh, several million people will be doing in the next couple of hours in watching the Super Bowl. So that's where we'll be this evening. But we're going to be doing that hopefully tomorrow evening after our uh Junior Iditarod race preview show with special guest Barb Reddington that we're going to record tomorrow evening and hope to post that in the days to come. I don't want to post that too early before the race because that race doesn't happen for another two weeks. Is that right? It's where we're at right now? Yeah, yeah. We're just a, uh, just a little under two weeks for the Junior Iditarod. And then next weekend, we're going to do a race preview and recap of the Canadian Challenge, a race that uh, uh, we've learned quite a bit about in the last year or so. I actually host a show uh, with our buddy uh, Dan Kirkup, who is the race president, I believe, uh, for that race, brand new race president uh, for that Canadian race. And it's got an interesting story in of itself. So we're looking forward to doing that show and then pretty much right after that, we're going to jump right in to our Iditarod coverage. So it has been a very hot and heavy January and February for our race coverage. But I think we're going to catch our groove here in a week or two, two and a half weeks, I guess it would be, when we start our Iditarod coverage. Did I miss any races that we need to talk about? I don't think so. Um, there are a couple more races that are that are going on. Um, oh, we you didn't say when we were going to do the recap of the Canadian Yukon Quest, if we even have time to do that. Oh, yes, we have, um, we but have to do also that. Yes, yeah, there's also the Race to the Sky going on this weekend. We didn't do a recap of it. Um, the roster was very small, and we just got really exhausted. I'm going to be – I'm going to admit it. I'm tired. <laughs> so, um, But the Race to the Sky is going on. The 100 finished already, and it was very much girl power. The first uh, three teams in were women. 
And then in B300, there's four teams, and Jesse Royer's just kicking everybody's booty. So uh, definitely keep tuned to that. They're all on Track Leaders. Just go to trackleaders.com. There's several races going on, and you can follow all of those little flags up and down the map uh, to your heart's content. And we want to do a quick shout out to a brand new Patreon member, Wendy Durst. She is uh, on board with us and, and has already listened to, I believe, our after show and has a comment on our Hi. Facebook page of questions or content suggestions of what we should do next. And I'm going to pass that along to Tony this afternoon. Wendy just uh, signed up on Patreon uh, late last night. And if you're interested in our Patreon account, head on over there to patreon.com slash First Paul Media, you'll see a couple of different levels there and some perks that are available. And we have just arrived Mushing Radio stickers. It's our logo. It's a cool round sticker that will be part of the sticker pack that you can get as some swag for your support of our show. So check it out. Pick a level, and if you can, support the team. Otherwise, Tony, it's been a pleasure, and I will talk to you tomorrow night as we jump back into our mushing radio coverage. On behalf of my co-host, this is Robert for Mushing Radio. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye. From DogWorks Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.